Dude, I... I had this weird revelation the other day. I mean, it wasn't a weird revelation. I've had it before. That, like... And I've noticed this in all genres of music. So I was listening to all things. (laughs) I was listening to the song You're So Vain. Yeah. Which I think is maybe Carly Simon, right? I believe you're right. Yeah. And like, I had this revelation that this was a perfect song. (laughs) And I want to explain that. I'm not saying that like, it's my favorite song by any means. Okay. But... I felt it like I fucking thought I thought the lyric I think the lyrics are really really good right okay. pretty much perfect like I couldn't hear any lyrics that I thought were bad in fact I think some of them were fucking brilliant mm-hmm. and then like I thought the execution of the song like I thought that it was recorded exactly how it should have been there were no instruments that shouldn't have been in there her voice sounded fantastic and like it was what we what all musicians strive for when they have an idea of a song in their head is like how to best represent it. And I think that like that song for what she was doing was like just dead on. It's perfect. Wow. It's like a perfect song. And I, I've noticed it with other songs too. It's not the only time, but, um, and it spans genres. Uh, but yeah, I was like, really, I feel the same way about like, you know, uh, about Dookie, like a lot of the songs on Dookie, sure. I feel like. Um, I don't know that they would be perfect. I think they're perfect executions. I think yeah. that You're So Vain is a, like a perfect song, though. So so we're saying it's a perfect pop song. Yeah, it's yeah. just a perfect song. I don't know. <laughs> genre doesn't matter. Doesn't even, this ex- trans- Carly Simon transcends genre. The lyrics are, <laughs> the lyrics, I think, are really good. Like, really good. Can like, I read something on. to you? Huh? So as you know, you know, I don't, I never remember lyrics unless okay, it's yeah. like do do host, you know, like I don't know anything, <laughs> but this, listen to this first verse of you're so vain, son of a gun. You walked into the party like you were walking onto a yacht. Yeah. Your hat strategically dipped below one eye. Your scarf, it was apricot. You had one eye in the mirror as you watched yourself gavot. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> And all the girls dream that they'd be your partner. They'd be your partner. And you're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. Holy shit. That's good. Even though I don't, I I have to Google Gavot. But (laughs) (laughs) besides for that, that's strong. I I never really gave it any love. Yeah. It's, and it just goes on from there. It's like when you're where you should be all the time. And when you're not, you're with some underworld spy or the wife of a close friend. And Brad, (laughs) Gavat, a medium paced French dance popular in the 18th century. I mean, (laughs) that's like Freddie Mercury level of getting, like, I've always been impressed how he so seamlessly put. Marie Antoinette into a into a lyric, you know. But it, it gets better though. It gets better oh, what because do we got? the song is supposedly about Mick Jagger, and he really? sings backup vocals on it. No, he doesn't. Yes, Goodness. he sings on the song that's supposed to be yeah. about him. Gotta be honest, <laughs> Brad. When we were going into this today, I did not expect Carly <laughs> Simon appreciation five minutes. No, I, I wouldn't. Ex- I didn't expect it. And it's funny this came up because recently. 
I was watching a uh, Winnie the Pooh special with my children and a song was playing through the Winnie the Pooh special. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of a familiar voice. And of course, the rolling end credits, who is it prancing through like an English countryside in a flowy skirt and big hat playing an acoustic guitar singing with three good friends and a stick or two? Was Carly Simon? She was, oh, no. she was, so now, from your so vain, she's taken on the uh, rolling credits of uh, Winnie the Pooh. And when I say she was frolicking around the field with her acoustic guitar and flowing skirt, I mean it. She was gavanting. She was gavanting. <laughs> oh my God, we got to use it. We got to use it. This is uh, good. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know if you saw, but Lady Gaga this week was talking about, you know, I I get the feeling she made this press release about the song she made for the Top Gun soundtrack. And she released this press release like a day before everyone had seen this movie, like all the screeners and stuff. And apparently Uh it's quite good. So she basically... You know, I like Lady Gaga. Like, sure, I'm a fan, I do too, man. You know, I am too. so I'm not trying to knock her down. But what she was saying about this song had a very like Bill and Ted's bogus journey, like one song to fix the universe sort of vibe is kind of how she was talking <laughs> about it. Like, just wait till you hear this song and it will repair people, you know, it will repair <laughs> the world. And I was like, oh, Lady Gaga, like that's Ooh. a little. That's a little broad. That's like, you know, guaranteeing the title, you know, the the first game of the year. You know, there's a lot that can go wrong. And the song came out today. So, of course, I had very high expectations. And it's very good. It is. It's a very cool song. It's a weird beat. So I have a feeling it's going to be a grower. But I think uh, Gaga perhaps like saw like a screener of the new Top Gun and got real stoked. It was going to be a big picture. And and maybe gave herself a little bit of a press release, you know? Good too, yeah. Good too. Or she might have been smoking some fucking wacky weed and just got carried away with you her think so? Gaga. enthusiasm. She, she's so, uh, same as our guest, you know, uh, Josh, like, you know, such she's a... She's together. She's yeah, together. it's like that, yeah. the, their body of work is just getting so thick. Like a guy like, he's put out so many records and so much content in the last couple of years I have a feeling that guy's not chilling around getting wasted all the time. All right, time, let me rephrase. You know? Let me rephrase. Maybe she had a few too many double espressos that morning. That's it. Maybe like, yeah, like a quad espresso from Starbucks <laughs> or something crazy like that. Because that'll do it. Lord that'll, knows. Oh, sure, sure. I get a couple of espressos in me. I sound like a cokehead. Oh, nuts. <laughs> nuts. Can't wait to see a new... T- I got to be honest, though. I love Top Gun. I can't wait to see Oh, really? Movie. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm interested to see, like, what they would do to, like, such a sort of timely classic. I think it's know? Goose's like, Kid. So, like, I'm already oh, crying just the fact oh. that it's Goose's Kid. <laughs> you just bring up the name Goose and I get sad. I think about <laughs> him hitting his head on the ejector seat, you know? Bums me it's out. Terrible. Um, terrible. But I can't wait to cast this movie that that Josh and I came up with about the rom-com oh. that goes wrong. Dude. I mean, Vin Diesel, Jennifer Lawrence. Perfect. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say, because I think you should wait and listen to the, the, the special guest that he 
chose that I would oh, not have imagined. Yeah, but yeah. That, <laughs> that was a nice until curve. he got to that guest, I was like, this is actually like fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant with that guest for me, but maybe if they actually want to market it and sell it to a broader audience, I think that up until that particular guest that he had it, he had something. It was almost sure. as if he was expecting the question. <laughs> you know, like he is I, like it was almost as if he. I get the impression that Josh has thought about this before in some regard, because the Vin Diesel, Jennifer Lawrence came very oh, easily. I think so perfect, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, I had seen a little bit of Josh before, you know, getting offered this interview. And, you know, like I've had a big hole in comedy recently. A lot of my favorite comedians either did disgusting shit or put out records that I didn't like uh, or or just present themselves in a way that makes me uncomfortable. And I lost like a lot of my favorite comedians over the last few years for a number of reasons. And I've been searching for like new blood and, and I, I don't, I've been striking out a lot. And then, you know, I, I'd seen a couple bits from Josh, but you know, this last week I'm really digging into his albums and stand-ups and his the music and the channel black record with, with these great, um, uh, you know, samples of really, uh, powerful, you know, black thought leaders over great music and like just this really diverse, rich thing he's doing in the mixtapes where you have, you know, a, a few comedy bits and then just like a great song. And I was like really sucked in to his whole thing. Um, a real, nice. real cool pace to the way he delivers and a really open and kind of vulnerable vibe that makes it easy to digest. And um, yeah, I, I like officially a fan and I'm going to be following, following Josh after this. So um, I think you should too. And also, as we discussed in the interview, um, Josh is filming a new special in LA on May 12th at the Bourbon Room, and there are still tickets for the second show. So somebody should definitely order those and go and laugh your ass off. And how cool is it to be live at a comedy special that you're recording for? Hell yeah. Like, would you try to, if you were there, would you do like a very unique cackle at one point just to make sure like you got on there? Like one point in the record, you just had an inappropriate time when nobody, (laughs) like just something ridiculous. So you're like, oh, there I am. When when nobody else is laughing. Yeah, yeah. Like like a slow middle of the joke, like, you know, where it's not even the punchline. Josh, I love you. (laughs) Throw something in there to get yourself in. I think it'd be a good idea. Go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Someone do that. Someone buy a ticket for me and do that. That'll be fun. But don't heckle. I don't like these hecklers. Right, right. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But yeah, definitely check out uh, that last record, Elusive, and then uh, Channel Black, which you know features a lot of great you know, young black comedians, many of which I had heard of and really fucking funny. Uh, yeah, so please... Uh, Listen to Josh and let's uh let's get into Listen this. to Josh. You know, I meant I I got to be honest, Brad. I meant for this interview to be funnier. Cuz I'm like I'm talking to a comic, we're probably just going to start talking shit and getting fun. But, you know, I'm sorry. Today's been a real. heavy day. I got deep. You know, we got deep. Yeah. I wanted to know where his comedy comes from. So it's deep in a good way. It's not depressing. It's it's like yeah. just it's a good talk. Kind of hopeful, all. right? He has a, yeah, a really nice vibe and and a nice way of kind of framing what's going on that makes it feel hopeful. So it's going on. It's nice to talk to you. I have been uh consuming your work for the last couple of weeks and I got to say I'm a I'm a fan. I ha- you have a new fan. Oh, me. thank you. I've been uh, experiencing a, a vacuum in comedy and actively trying to find comics I like. And you're awesome. Oh, thanks so Thanks so for much. coming I, on. I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah. There's a voice I connect with. But the one thing, I got to contest you right off the bat on something, okay? Yeah. I heard a story that you told about a time you were living in Queens and walked into a subway station and accidentally stepped on a man's cheeseburger. Yep, yep. <laughs> you know, with like apparently with ketchup and mustard spraying everywhere. And and as you and your co-host unpacked the story, you kind of vilified the man for where he was sitting in a mm-hmm. subway station as if this was like, a really foreign place to eat a hamburger. I don't eat burgers, but I got to say, as someone who's ridden the subway hundreds of times and eaten a fair amount, I think I, I think I go steps. Like, yeah. So here, here's my logic. Okay. Here's my logic. Work with me here. So to me, like eating on the train is gross. Like, I feel bad eating on the train because I've been stuck in train cars before where someone pulled out, you know, the shrimp scampi, chicken fried rice, you know, something (laughs) that you're just like, no, 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 don't. Come on. There's too many of us here. Yeah. So I don't like that. I feel like I almost never sit on like a bench in a subway station because I feel like unless it's totally empty, I feel like they're for older people. And I'm just like, it's not my time yet. I'm like, I do this kind of feeding the universe that like 20 years from now, I'm going to have a seat. You know, I feel like it's not my time. And I do feel it's kind of like if you just sit down on one of these benches and start noshing on a big burger, it's kind of like you own the bench and like nobody else is like welcome to sit next to you. So it would be my instinct as well, I think, to find kind of like, an eating place that's sort of like where people would just like walk by you and you just plant up on the steps. And in my head, it feels like a less weird place to eat. 
So let me ask you. I didn't. I don't know the story. Was the guy <laughs> eating a cheeseburger on the steps? All right, yeah, uh, Josh. Maybe since give this some context, perhaps. Yeah. So he was definitely attempting to. So I was walking down the steps <laughs> of the subway. Um, I honestly, I can't remember what stop it was right now, but basically, I stepped on a hamburger and almost <laughs> fully sent myself down the rest yeah. of the stairs. Um, like the the burger shot forward. It was it was very uh slippery with all the works. My man had everything: pickles, had a real banana onions. peel kind of thing yeah. going on. And yeah. uh, and then he his response was my burger. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, I I was like, hey, I'm I'm sorry. Like I I, it was such a quick moment of an interaction. But he was eating like, the sorry. burger on the steps, like the actual, he clearly had laid the burger aside. So to, right. to in his defense, to be fair, maybe he was going to eat the burger in his lap. But yeah. he had set the burger aside. Maybe he's going to grab some more ketchup, like a ketchup packet <laughs> or something, and just laid it out perfectly as I was, yeah. I guess, about to step down on that step. So then I slipped. What? I, so let me just chat as a <laughs> as a as an actual New Yorker who lives in New York and fucking rides the subway has ridden it thousands of times. I would first like to say I'm glad you're not hurt. Thank you very much for fucking destroying that asshole's cheeseburger. Ah, and to all no. of you out there, stay the fuck off the steps. Whoa. Don't sit on the steps. Whoa. Don't stand on the steps. I gotta fucking get around in the city, and you're in my way. Stay out of the way. End of fucking story. Wow. Brad, Sorry. It's I'm really not going to talk funny. for the rest of the podcast now. It's really <laughs> funny how you just got a New York accent for the first time. <laughs> I've never heard it before until just now. And all of a sudden you're like, fucking Tony Soprano. You stay off the fucking steps. <laughs> wow. Yes. This really brought out a part of you. Sorry. Okay. I, that pisses me off, dude. I'm sorry. Pisses me off. Well, Josh, I guess... Uh, <laughs> I guess it, 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 I was trying to challenge you on this, but I guess it got affirmed, you know? Yeah. I mean, there, there are lots of uh, things that I talk about on the podcast. Oh, the podcast is called The Josh Johnson Show, by the way. But it's it, it wasn't in a stand-up where I was describing the story. But right. basically, the, the podcast is full of questionable um, <laughs> motives and reactions or just overall scenarios. So if you're ever looking to get nice and, you know, pissed off, uh, <laughs> definitely give it a like listen. Like I just did. <laughs> now, like a story like that, what what determines that being a story for the podcast and not a bit? I think if there's something bigger to pull away from the overall incident, then yeah, I think it becomes a bit. But I think right. that when it's just a standalone story that I think is really funny, it becomes a bit more of a podcast thing. I'm I'm lucky in that my podcast and the the listeners that I have garnered through the podcast see that there's a uh more or less a sameness to my podcast <laughs> self and the stand-up. Um, sure. I, I don't necessarily do one thing, may, mainly because it's a storytelling podcast and I tell a lot of stories in stand-up, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's a bit helpful in that way because I know if I did like a murder mystery podcast and then I did <laughs> stand-up, people would show up 
to the show expecting a murder story or something. Right, 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 right. So it stays pretty consistent. I mean, I guess our our stalemate, even in the opinion here, uh, would would mean it's not good for a comedy bit, perhaps. Um, yeah, yeah. So what you, did you? I don't pull away any friends uh, if I just. <laughs> right, right. That's not really tugging on anyone's heartstrings or sensibilities there. Well, it got to me, and I guess, I mean, I got to consider the fact that I might be like a uniquely uh, weird person who likes to sit in strange places, which is true. I Sometimes I just sit in weird places. I got in trouble at a mall recently. I'm like, just, you can't sit here. I'm like, oh, right. You can't where, just like 40 year old man can't just like plop down on the ground at the mall. I didn't even think of it. Where you know? were you sitting that they said you couldn't sit there? Um, all it, malls it, need all the people they can get. Hey. I, I agree. It was outside of an Apple store. So of course I had like a 90 minute to six hour wait, you know, to, <laughs> to handle whatever was going on in there. I don't even remember. I had a I had a newspaper with like a crossword puzzle, which is a nice way for me to kill time. But I think my mistake was I, I just plopped down like in the like just on the side, like leaning in between like two stores. You know, I didn't go for like a bench or a chair. I just went to the floor. Mm-hmm. So I think they were I don't know. I, I but that's still you know what? Kind of like the same way you apologize to the guy's burger you stepped on. I kind of took that one on the chin. And I I should have fought it more, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I had a right to sit there, didn't I? I mean, for the for the lack of uh, patronage that most malls have, you, you should pretty much be able to sit in the cash register if you want. I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't see where they get off telling people where to sit when eight stores get three people a day, you know? That's a good point. That's a good point. So uh how um how was your pandemic? Um, or how? Well, because we're out of it. Right? It was officially declared not a pandemic anymore, so I can safely say that in the past tense. I guess. I, I think on. so. I mean, I I don't know how you have a good pandemic. Um, <laughs> I like I lived, you know, so that yeah. that is already a start. I'm very Bonus. blessed yeah. to still be alive. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think that most of it I just spent trying to make things. Um, yeah. Kind of kept me sane and and felt good to still create. Yeah, you had a pretty um, pretty illustrious uh, output in that time. I mean, is it essentially three albums in the in that two years, right? Between uh, the new one. Um, so what what were you like uh doing on a day-to-day basis? Like what kind of routine did you get into to stay, you know, not too glum and and keep producing? Um, you know, it was it was touch and go for a while because some of the things I was taking up cuz a lot of people in the pandemic were, you know, baking bread from scratch yeah. or, you know, so whatever yeast, the thing was. Yeah. And I like I like bought nunchucks and was just hurting myself like like i i'm still <laughs> trash at it. it it's weird how it's probably one of the most useless weapons ever invented like if you're willing to get as busted up as the person that you're trying to to like ruin then it's a great weapon but a right, stick right. is so much more effective you know at least when you hit somebody with a stick the likelihood of it hitting you back is minimal 
Yeah, it's sort of like a sadomasochistic weapon. I didn't even realize that. It's interesting. Yeah, you'd have to break the stick to hurt yourself with as much of the <laughs> stick as you're hurting the other person. And with nunchucks, you have no idea. It's coming back all the time. Hey, were you like, were you, instead of baking bread off YouTube, were you nunchucking off YouTube? Like, how are you learning Yeah, I was like moves? nunchucking off YouTube. Um, read <laughs> Did a lot you find of- a great teacher on there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I I also read comic books again. Um, okay. That was that was a big one. Got back into comic books hard, graphic novels, and just reading a bunch of stuff that I found interesting, like worlds that you could escape to and stuff. That was that was very fun. And um, cool. then on top of that, yeah, I just kept writing jokes, and I was I was even doing Zoom shows at a point. Um, nice. Which I appreciate the people that made that possible uh yeah but it's yeah. not the same it's, <laughs> right. it's just simply not you know it's sure. like it's uh it, it and then i even did some shows i i started doing shows as soon as i could that i felt like were safe so did a lot of rooftop shows outdoors i even did some shows at the park and the shows at the park were the first time that i w- wondered if i was mentally ill Um, Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, because the show at the park is not like stand up at the park is not the same. It's like, yeah, because it's also no mic. So now you're just screaming in the park, which anybody (laughs) can do. (laughs) And I guess I guess you have a natural inclination to think that someone screaming in a park is just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you're usually right. (laughs) So like at this point, you know. It's interesting because so much of, um, you know, at least when you're you're playing music in a band or something, like you at least have the people around you as, you know, some kind of validation. And I know, you know, in in comedy, it's just just you, and and gauging a reaction probably is so much of like how you determine what's good and what's funny. Like, was that is that like just new territory to? try to discover your barometer for like quality in that way? I mean, a little bit, you know, you, it, the, the basis of all of the best comedy to me is really believing in something being funny and then learning mm. how to communicate that idea to the audience. Uh, so it's mm. not necessarily telling them what's funny, but it is like, if there's something that you find funny, there's something there, if that makes sense. And it's sure. just about learning how to effectively communicate with the audience and and cut through everything, any confusion or any uh, resistance to then show them how funny this funny thing to you is. Um, right, right. And I think that with... You don't get the same feedback when you're just doing like a Zoom show or something. Um, you don't even get the same feedback when it's weird. Like when it's a weird show. <laughs> right. Because then yeah. the park uh-huh. shows were also sometimes just odd because then even people were like, why don't you have, why don't you have a mic or, you know, or what, <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever right. the thing was. Um, yeah. So I'm very grateful for all those opportunities and they def- definitely helped keep me sharp, well, you know, in the interim while I was like sure. locked inside and stuff. But I mainly just kept writing, which, you know, ended up being a benefit coming out of lockdown and out of the pandemic. Sure. When you're, when you're writing, I mean, um, is it, is it observational? Like, do you need to be 
out in the world, seeing things and experiencing to, you know, to get these things or, or, um, do you have just an easy time just pulling into your brain and, and finding things that make you laugh? Um, you know, it, some part of it is about, um, some, some part of it is you having to pull out what you think about things. But I think another huge, another huge aspect is just being uh, a good witness of, of uh, things that are happening in life and everything. It's why I try to have lots of conversations with people or try to just go out and walk. I think that if you walk to the, the length of Manhattan in a day, I, I think it would be hard for you to come away without a story. You know, mm. it's like there's so sure. many, there's so many people, there's so many moving parts and there's just so much uh, like fertile, rich human interaction and like drama is the wrong word, but uh, yeah. kind of drama in a sense. That it's then, alive. It's yeah. Alive. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's just, there's so much life in a place like New York or even when I was in Chicago and I go for a long walk, what, what came out of that was usually, um, even if it was me sort of thinking to myself or it was me noticing something, you know, a long mm-hmm. enough walk led to get all of the, the gears turning in a really great way. Yeah, that's interesting. When you said like being a good witness, that's that's an interesting way to put it. Like, so so say you're out on a walk and you you know you're feeling like a little bogged down or something by other things. Like, how do you how do you get your brain in a in a spot to be open enough to be like a good witness all the time? I mean, I think it's also an attitude as well. So it, mm. you know, it, it, to me, it's not my job to be right about anything. I'm not trying to get up there and be <laughs> right. just correct the whole time. Um, so sure. it's, it's my job to my goal, at least when I do comedy is to make these people over here, understand these people over there. And right. I think that both, 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 if not all groups have something to say, Sometimes what they have to say may be silly or dumb or is just perceived as silly or dumb. And then the <laughs> right. way that you you bridge those gaps is is through laughing at the fact that, you know, whether it's the fact that we disagree or or the most bare bones, maybe even disingenuous version of what one person believes or thinks is is going to yeah. end up being um, um, good fodder to help other people understand them. If that makes any mm. sense, it uh, does. Yeah, it yeah. Does. So I think being a good witness is being uh, as impartial as possible. So yeah. you you can see something happen, and rather than having a feeling about it or taking a side, I'm not saying you shouldn't have takes and opinions, but I think that rather than judging everything all the time, you're the, you're the best judge when you wait to see the whole thing play out and then you can have a take on it that's pretty fresh. You know, I, I think that yeah. it even we just came out of a long, 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 you know, uh, political comedic cycle where some right. people, you it really separated some of the comics from others because then sure. some people's whole take was that Trump was bad. It's like, oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Astounding. Real juicy. Yeah. yeah. Juicy stuff. Yeah. Um, Huh, and so, I, yeah, that that's that's kind of what I mean is that if you're a good enough witness to something and you can very richly 
paint the picture and color it for people, you'll both be saying something interesting and and possibly astute that either helps people see it in a way they didn't see it before or helps them laugh yeah. at a thing that they think is mundane or that they think they figured out, you know? Sure. You know, it's interesting you say, like, I know a lot of, um, you know, people who write music sometimes would be uh, apprehensive to put something political or, you know, ultimately something really timely into a song because they think it, you know, uh, the song will age out faster. You know, like um, you listen to the Sex Pistols now is like an American kid, like connecting with like, oh, fuck, like Margaret Thatcher. They have to like Google who it is. It's not uh, a relevant thing to their life. Does it, you think it works the same way in comedy? Like the, some of the, comedians maybe who just jump on the political stuff and really ride something maybe limit the uh the lifetime of their own like jokes to last i mean i think that the the unfortunate thing about comedy in general no matter who you are or what or what you're talking about is that it usually is of the time um even when right. you don't think it is even when you think you're being completely universal and then you're using um, a reference to a song that will one day be old. It's like, sure, you know, yeah. there are comics. You you listen to you know Bob Hope. It's like if Bob Hope did a joke about Bob Dylan. It's like, all right, <laughs> a lot of people are gonna probably get it, but there's a lot of people who won't. And right. and I'm sure that it felt universal because Bob Dylan is such a star and Bob Hope is such an icon. But it even that fades. Whereas if you talk specifically about people and the reactions that they have and the things that go deeper, you know, yeah. like I have a joke about uh, Uber that right. I, I suppose will age well for a while, but there's going to come a day, maybe, you know, a hundred years from now where maybe Uber isn't a thing or they've moved on from cars to like, yeah. you know, spaceships or something. And now the joke doesn't really make sense. Or our iPhones look like beepers now or, you know, like, yeah. 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 Right. yeah. So it's like, I think that you have to be talking very um, specifically, not only, but like you have to be very specific in, in how you approach all of your material if you're trying to last. Uh, so I think that I do some jokes believing and hoping that they'll stand a real test of, uh, of like staying power because they're about the the human experience. And then I think that right. there's some that's like, look, I said it because it was funny. It may only be funny today. <laughs> and, right, right, right. and that's that's part of it. So it's not necessarily, I, I think that you also have to look at what what people want to accomplish. So there are some people that were very political for the last four years in their comedy because that's how they felt. Right. Um, and I think that's just as important as people who state the course of just being, you know, um, silly or or telling stories or, or, you know, whatever that thing is because comedy has a place for all of it. And I think careers yeah. have a place for all of it. So, you know, I think that if if tomorrow we went to war with Russia, I think a lot of people would get very political very fast. But I think until that happens, there are people that are content to just um, see see what happens, you know, sit back and watch what happens or focus on other aspects of their life. And I sure. think that both of those things are fair. There's there's 
there's too much going on in the world for everyone to give the same energy to one thing at any given time. Right. And it's a strange balance, right, too, because if you're not looking to tackle these specific issues, but people are so enraged or emotional at them at the time, sometimes it seems maybe as if like you're minimizing said issues, right, by doing a completely sidebar comedy bit unrelated and posting it on the day where like everyone else is fucking grieving and going crazy. There seems to be like, if you don't want to tackle those issues, you got to give like a grace period almost where like people are maybe a little like settled down. Do you see that at all? Cause I kind of had that issue in like in music with social media and stuff. It's like, no, I didn't feel like tackling every specific issue over the last like four or five years, but I did feel kind of remiss being vocal about anything on the days or weeks that it uh, was really hot. Did you feel that at all? No, I think that sadly, a lot of the problems that we have, we're going to continue to have just in different forms. So I think that, you know, it's more important to say something at the right time when it's, uh, when it's really felt than it is to be performative. And I think that, you know, like that the performative politics and activism don't really have a lot of staying power, both in the consciousness and with, with people's perception of you, whether it's as as an artist or a person. So I, I can always, I think have us have a, I can always have some, sympathy for someone who's like, even if they want to say something, but they don't know how, or they don't want to talk about it yet because they don't know how they feel. It's like, we're not all moving at the same pace. Sure. So I, I I don't think that I felt the need. I, I tried to really only speak when I felt like it was necessary. Right. That makes sense. So I want like, um, you know, getting into into your, your, you know, your comedy and podcast, you know, you have this really very broad and open way of kind of accepting, it seems, you know, like a very, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel a whole lot of judgment from, from your vibe, I guess. I don't know a better way to put it. And I saw that you, you know, grew up in Alexandria, Louisiana, and I can imagine like, you know, as you said in some of your bits, you know, being a little bit of like an alternative thinker, maybe in a place like that, like how did growing up where you grew up, like frame uh, that openness? Is it just because you had met so many different types of people along the way? Yeah, I, th- I think it taught me pretty early how to deal with a sort of uh, a sort of duality. So, you know, I right. was coming from a place with not a lot of money, but I was around people with a lot of money through school and stuff. And then I was also coming through a place where I was growing up around black people, but going to school with white people and mm-hmm. and meeting most of my friends that were different in any way in little pockets of time and and seeing how they were treated from the outside looking in and then seeing how people spoke about each other. So, you know, I was a very quiet kid. And I think that some people thought that quiet was shyness. And I think I was just trying to listen. And I think mm-hmm. that through through listening to so many people, I I got to see a lot of 
It, I mean, it, I mean, it's a really astounding thing. It almost feels like a superpower sometimes. How much people will tell you if you don't, if you just don't talk. And <laughs> it's so funny. It's so true. It's like I would, I yeah. would find the the real people and the fake people very quickly. Uh, yeah. Because uh-huh. you know, I'd be around them when they were when we were all around as a group. But then later, they tell me that they didn't like three of those people we were hanging out with, and I was just like, <laughs> "Wow, okay, geez, you know." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that it helps shape my perspective because I have always had, not always, but I, I think that for the most part, ever since my young adulthood, I've had a, like pretty left-leaning beliefs and and uh, a view of the world. But I grew up around staunch conservatism. So I yeah, actually sure. do see where those people are coming from when they speak. I just don't agree with them, but I, I can see it's not them being malicious aliens the same way that I think that sometimes they think people on the other side of any political spectrum are just crazy. And it's like, I, they, there's, there's a, there's a, a world in which no one is absolutely insane um, yeah. in their yeah, motivations. Yeah. And it, and it uh-huh. happens to be the world we live in. So while yeah. sometimes deeply misguided in in how we go about things and and how we describe how we feel, I think that there are a lot of people who could um, who could stand to like learn and reason with each other. But you know, we've just we've reached such a, a disingenuous era of of argument that it's it's going to be harder than ever to to make that happen. You know? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's it seems like what you're talking about. It, it's like comes down to just the simple concept of empathy, right? Like if you can just strip back every person far enough, then you see so much sameness, you know? But uh, but I think maybe what you're talking about is part of the problem. I mean, people um, don't know how to listen anymore and really don't know how to like engage, it seems like. I don't know if, you know, social media had something to do with that or, you know, any number of things. But um, the path to to... Uh, a, a difficult face-to-face conversation and people getting through it okay seems seems harder than it used to, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm I don't know what it'll take to find our way back to each other, but um, you know, comedy is how I try. But no, I think uh, yeah. that you know, yeah. being being from where I'm from and being raised how I was helped shape a lot. I, I mean, I've definitely I'm guilty of having those moments of like, man, I just wish I grew up in New York. I'd probably be further along in my career because I'd have the experience. (laughs) It's like, all right, maybe, but maybe it it took being alone and lonely as a kid in a, in a, like, in a place that didn't even really feel like a city around people that didn't really understand me. Um, and all of that helped shape what I do now. Um, and I think why people like it. Because I think sure. that there is this lack of, um, I think there is a, a genuine lack of judgment, hopefully coming off of me. Even when, even when I'm angry in a joke or I'm telling a story passionately, I still don't think that people come away from it thinking I was like coming down on a person in a way that no, was very no. serious or, or yeah. uh, condemning. And I think that you know, if I can, if I can, uh, like like you said, sort of peel back the layers enough for all, all of us to have a good time, then I right. think, you know, there's a level of humanity in there that, that we can, it, like we have to admit we just experienced together. 
And that's mm-hmm. without, you know, we didn't yeah. have to check if the other person was quote unquote, like good first or <laughs> right. you know, anything. Yeah. It came for all of us. If, yeah, if you grew up in New York, you would talk too fast. You would talk, you have a, a nice like pace to the way you speak. You probably, yeah, you would be a lot different, you know? Um, so I think it's the same way a lot of, you know, it's a strange thing in music where, um, you know, you kind of take like the strangest people, the people who wrote the best songs and got the best at their instruments were often, you know, the ones locked in their rooms, uh, having a, a difficult time connecting with people or just didn't want to for whatever reason and focused on this thing. And that's what made them great. And then, you know, they get to some point and it's like, oh, why don't you speak for all of us? And they're like, I don't really want to speak, you know? Um <laughs> Yeah, sure. No, I mean, that's, I feel like that's our problem though, is that we, we shirk off too much of the responsibility of like thought and discourse on people who we happen to like. So, you know, I think it's great when someone like Muhammad Ali is like, Hey, I'm going to take up this fight of, you know, I'm not going to go fight a war for people that against people that didn't do anything to me when I have to fight in America to be treated like a like a person, I feel like. Right. And that's that's all well and good because Muhammad Ali was someone who was taking up that struggle individually and, and very articulately, um, articulately. But, you know, to expect the same out of athletes now is kind of <laughs> embarrassing. It's like yeah. you dribble so well that you must be the next voice of uh, activism for whatever cause. And it's like, all right, if they want to do that, then more power to them. But we can't keep expecting that. Like, it's such a lazy, silly thing on our part that we we pick our leaders like that. And we expect so much out of people who we like for a different thing. Like, it, like, if, like if we yeah. actually read more, then we would know that the people we need to lead us are already trying to do the work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. That's almost like what doom scrolling is, is like, let me find my own opinion said for me by somebody who's unqualified. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. It's a, that's a little hard. And you're right. You know, I, I'm a big sports fan. You see it all the time. They're like, why did this 21 year old kid? who never took uh, like a, a real class after freshman, sophomore year of high school, why doesn't this person have a really, really well-rounded and smart take on U.S.-China relations and the NBA's <laughs> role in it? You know, like, like lay that out for me, kid, you know? <laughs> if they do, more power to them. Like, like sure. I, I think yeah. that that is something that isn't applauded enough when someone is already passionate about something yeah, and, and right. they put themselves out there. You know, I think that mm-hmm. even as a comic, I think Russell Brand's work with fighting the uh, the sort of uh, persecution of addiction is mm-hmm. applaudable right. work. But sure. I also think that if he wasn't doing that and we just assigned it to him, that would be insane. <laughs> right, 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 right. Point. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, we have to, there are so many people who dedicate themselves to real work and educating themselves in a real way. We have to somehow have a better way of deciphering where and how we're getting this information from then, right? Like that's, 
maybe the the funnels have been given to us like we're stupid and we're consuming it like we are stupid. Well, maybe we're stupid. I mean, <laughs> I, I just think that some of it comes from, I mean, I've watched some of it come from the fans as well, which which is what sure. I I feel I can sympathize with an athlete or an entertainer's felt pressure to talk about something, especially yeah. when their fans are like, well, why won't you say anything? Why won't you speak mm-hmm. up for us or, you know, whatever. And it's like, that is, if they have something to say that will help, that is good, but you cannot just put that on a person, you know? No. And that, and that's no. lazy of us to be like the same person that I like to listen to when I'm winding down for the day should also go talk to Congress. Right. But yeah, you're totally right. And it's the fans who create it because, you know, the whole like uh, uh, thoughts and prayers revolution, you know, like when Mm -hmm. anything happens. I mean, the reason they have to post it every single time is if they posted it once, someone out there is going to aggregate the fact that you posted about this, but you didn't post about this, Mm -hmm. which means you care about this and you hate this. Mm-hmm. And the people just can't afford that kind of smoke, right? So they're just like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to write thoughts and prayers for everything that ever happens, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or or have their assistant do it. Right, right. I mean, I guess it's just a draft at this point, right? If they're smart. Yeah, it's... it's draft uh, in their Twitter. Just, uh, yeah. do you have the flood? Is the flood draft ready? Or yeah. Flood draft? Earthquake draft? They, yeah. yeah, they just get them all set. Um, that's scary. Well, I want to go back a, a little for, cause you know, usually, um, an outlet like you have, uh, comes from somewhere, uh, were, were your parents, um, a parent, anybody like really feeding this kind of mantra to you? Were you involved in like anything growing up that kind of directed you in that way? Or was it really just this like self-guided search? Um, I mean, it's a good question. I, I think that for the most part, it was self-guided only in that most of the people around me so firmly already believed what they believed that I didn't know where I would fit in questioning all of it. Is it like heavily religious where you're from? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a fair, a fair way to describe it. Um, um, I also think that the, the, it's such a thing that you, you do have to go on by yourself. Even if, even if another person sparks it, even if you have, you know, a parent or a, a friend that is telling you to question things and open your mind and, and explore, I think it's still such a personal journey that you, that you have to do yourself because you also have to have the will to do it. I think that, it's very easy to stay content with where you are and what you know. And sometimes that's fine. Like as long as you're not hurting anybody and you're just happy, if there's not a problem, there's not a problem. Yeah. Some people find happiness there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that outside of that though, you do, you do get into a bit of trouble, not questioning anything and then (laughs) letting a couple decades pass. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. That's a, a safe way to mediocrity, I guess. Um, what was your, uh, did you do your first like shows and standups and stuff down there? Uh, you know, I did my high school talent show, but I didn't really start doing <laughs> How did comedy. That go? It, it was fine. It was like, a, 
they were too nice to me is what it was. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Like I, I didn't bomb, but you know, I think people were also so surprised that I did it because I was so quiet that uh, I think okay. people it like took a, it took them aback in a, in a good like, way, which I'm thankful let's for. Let's support Josh. Like one yeah. of those. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think who knows? Like if it had gone bad enough, I, I don't know how I would feel about it later. So the right, fact right. that it, the first time went well is great. Yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So you started there and did, did you start doing shows down there or that didn't happen until you moved? No, I really started in Chicago. That's that's where okay. I, I, I went to Chicago to start and then that's where things really took off. Um, and Why also Chicago where I specifically? Uh, you know, Chicago is the only that I know of, at least. I believe it's the only secondary market in the U.S. Like, uh, you know, there's primary markets like New York and yeah. L.A. and stuff like that. Sure. And there's some tertiary ones like uh, Atlanta and, and Denver, even though Atlanta's having a huge come up. Yeah, Atlanta's good. I think that for me, it was the choice of Chicago because one, you know, in talking to my professors at the time, it's it felt like Chicago was a good move. Um, okay. And then also, once I was in Chicago, I saw how big the city was while still having what I would still consider a small comedic community. And, oh, okay. and so then I'm learning from people and I'm getting to know people very quickly. And I would say, you know, without, without sounding like pompous or anything, I'd say the rise in Chicago was fairly quick because I was able to learn from the people who were just the best at the time and and right. 
and be around them so much because there's so many shows in Chicago. And so I, I just dedicated myself to making sure I was going out all the time. I was either watching something. I was either going to watch a show or I was doing a show and cool. making sure that I met people, like introducing myself to everyone and like trying to just make friends wherever I could. I think that it helped moving to Chicago with only two people that I really knew because I think that for the most part, it then led to me having a an understanding of what it takes to build community for yourself. Right. Um, like the, the yeah, thing yeah. that, that, that people have a problem with that I don't think a lot of people notice until they get a bit older is that even popular people, well, not, I, I shouldn't even say popular, but even people with a lot of friends at, right. in their childhood think that they're good at making friends. But then uh, when you look yeah. at where their friends come from, they're all friendships based out of proximity. Right. And then you were in my homeroom in like first grade. 100%. Yeah. And so yeah, then yeah. later on in life, we still share those same friendships. I'm not saying these friendships are bad. I'm just saying if, you know, if all of your friends in, in high school were just kids that you went to school with, and then yeah. in your adult life, most of your friends are either friends from earlier life, like high school and college, or, you know, um, the people that you work with, I'm not saying it means you're not you're not good at making friends, but I'm I'm just saying it, you're very good at making friends through proximity, like people yeah. that you have to talk to. I'm, it doesn't mean you're not a great person. It just means sure. that cultivating something out of nothing is not something yeah. that you've had to make your strong suit. And for me, it's something that is it's. I mean, it's a constant practice because even when I moved to New York, now all that fear sets in again. Of right. putting yourself yeah. out there, new kid in school again. Mm-hmm. Um, who were like the uh, the kind of the headline comics in Chicago when you went out there? What was the scene like at that time? Um, you know, like Chris Red was was really oh, nice. great even before the the movies came and the TV shows came. So he's yeah. always been an incredible comic and had beautiful timing. Um, whether he was doing improv sketch or stand up, he was, and he, someone that really took me in, in a way oh, nice. that, um, made me feel like I could talk to someone and like, I could, um, like I could like with, without, without sounding melodramatic about it, he definitely took me in in a way that made me feel like I belonged even if we didn't spend a ton of time together every time he saw me he was checking on me anytime we ran into each other he was genuinely interested in in how things were going and you know he's always been at least in my eyes like this like superstar cool kid so right. it did feel a little bit like high school in a way where I'm like man the like you know the the quarterback like asked me how my day was doing that that yeah, feels yeah, pretty yeah. good you know feels or he good, said yeah. i had a great set or he said right. you know that he thought this new bit i was doing was really funny it's like that sure. stuff you know meant a lot to me and and it's, it's just it's just who he is as a person like that's not he wasn't just being that's nice to guy. me because i was funny yeah he's just a, a great person so then you know he was someone that i really had like a a good friendship with and then like Logan my co-host of of the podcast yeah. is someone that we became friends pretty early into even moving into Chicago so then he was just someone that I would always run stuff by or go to shows with or like 
all that stuff. Um, we go to mics together, do showcases and stuff like that. Go on the road nice. together sometimes. And that's where a lot of the stories come from that are even in the podcast. And then I'm trying to think of who else was was there that was like popping at the time when I like first moved. What year was it when you got to Chicago? I moved there like September of 2012. Okay. Yeah. And it was, it was great. It was like, yeah, it's, it's very hard to, it's going to be a hard thing to beat. Not just because I've remote romanticized it in my mind, but I've also made it like the beginning. Like I, like I truly feel that way. It's like where I became an adult it's where I was on my own for the first time. It's like it's like where all this stuff was happening. Yeah. It's a good town. And in the music world, I would I would say it's kind of an A market. You know, like I mean, it's not quite as big as like New York or LA, but you know, for most of the time you're you're in a um a, a driving situation, not a flying situation. So Chicago is like an absolutely crucial, you know, city. Uh that you have to hit if you're doing a cross country tour, you know, it's like a, a necessity and there's so many great venues and so much great food style. It's a good town. I picked the white Sox to, uh, I picked the white Sox to win the world series in a baseball preview I wrote for spin. And, uh, when I put it on social media, I said, if the white Sox actually win, somebody has to send me a stuffed spinach pie from Giordano's. Oh, there you, you go. Which is my favorite. That's my favorite spot in Chicago for pizza. I don't know if you got a very serious opinion about it. It seems like if you're there for six months, you need to have a very, very formed and pointed opinion about which pizza place you prefer, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there. it's a, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a real spectrum in Chicago. <laughs> Because you know you have Giordano's and stuff, but oof, there is some there is some trash there. Both these places are now closed. I don't feel bad talking about them. But oh there really? Was, yeah, there, there was one place that was amazing that's closed, and then there's one place that was absolute trash that was closed. <laughs> um, and I think they even closed for the pandemic. I'm not sure that the pandemic oh, is wow. what put them out of business, but there was one place called Cheeky's Pizza, and it was so <laughs> good. It was. It was incredible, man. Like wow. I, I was, it, it was near Logan. So if I was walking over to Logan's, I would either bring a pizza or we would Ooh. go there in the middle of writing or whatever. And there was one time where we were the only people, it was me, Joel Boyd, Ed Towns and Logan. And we were all at Cheeky's having a meeting about a show we were going to put on. And uh-huh. the, the, I'm assuming the owner, he was at least the one back there, but uh, he just came and brought us extra slices of pizzas. He was deciding if he should put on the menu. And I was like, I I was like blown away. Some of them were so good. And what we were getting was already great. And you would, it was such a deal as well, um, like great deals. And then there was this place that was so bad. I've talked about it on the podcast and it was so bad that this is how you know I was poor. Um, so it made, it made me and my two roommates very sick, like just ridiculously sick because they food poisoning, proper food poisoning, because they put the, um, 
they put the little door. What was it called? When it has the hole on it, it's like a door knocker or something. Um, they the coupon is has a hole in it that they put around the doorknob is what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The little hangers, yeah, the hangers yeah, coupons. yeah. So uh-huh. they put they put those coupons on our door. I don't even know how they got in the building, but they put them <laughs> on our door, and we looked, and it was like five dollars for. Uh, oh. I can't remember if it was a medium or a large, but it was five dollars oh, per pizza. Too cheap. Oh, and no. it was there was no limit. So you if you order like <laughs> oh, no. five pizzas, it was gonna be twenty-five bucks. Like it was there wow. was just no limit. So then we each ordered um we decided to just do one, even though we had the coupon. We decided to just do one um each. We all ate the pizza that night. I think we even watched a movie. We we were like royalty. And Proper then the next day, yeah. oh, it was so sick. Like just so ridiculously sick. And I the way that you could tell what that I was poor is I was like, it was clearly the pizza because all of us felt it. Yeah. And I out loud was like, This is this is insane. I'ma eat a little bit more and then I'm gonna throw it out because I can't let it go to waste. That's two seventy five sitting in that box right now. Uh, <laughs> oh, you you had the classic uh like Michael Jordan flu game, right? With the poison yeah, pizza. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, hey, let me <laughs> let me just get my money's worth at least. Uh, uh it's amazing the lengths you'll go to when you are poor. But five dollars a pie, I mean you can't you can't trust what's going on in that pizza. That's, that's I mean, no you, good. You, you can when you're 22 and you've never yes. been betrayed before. That is true. <laughs> I I literally was the guy working at the pizza place, hanging those fucking flyers on people's doorknobs uh, at the same age. So I I was the one poisoning people at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's rough. Man. I don't even know. Like for for it to be all three of us means it's Gotta just the, the ingredients. Yeah. Got to be the cheese. Yeah. I would guess this. This is my guess. I would say with a bad place, you're supposed to do your cheese fresh every day, you know? Mm-hmm. But with a bad place, you'll do your cheese, you'll leave it out all day, it'll get melty, it'll sweat, you wrap it again, you throw it in the cooler, it cools off and kind of rehardens, you bring it out the next day. Once it warms up again, that's rotten cheese that they will oh. happily still put on people's pizzas. Wow. Um, and wow. that happens probably more than people would like to hear, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that I, I'm guessing that I think their logic is like, hey, we're tossing it in an oven, like it'll cook everything off, you know? But yeah, I mean this is this is completely off base, but uh I was I was the last time I was that sick from a pizza was then, you know, what, eight years later during mm-hmm. During like halfway, halfway out of lockdown, um, I, I got a Papa John's pizza because it was the only oh, thing left no. open, and yeah. it ruined me. And it and the it was fast <laughs> acting. I literally right, ate right two through. slices and immediately felt horrible. And yeah, then yeah. it made me think of the the former CEO, like you know the former yeah. guy who uh-huh. who got fired, and how Not that so next interview he looked horrible, and he was like, <laughs> yeah. "The pizza doesn't taste the same." I've ordered forty three pizzas, and I and I and we like you look at him and you're like, "You look like you've eaten forty three pizzas." Like you yeah. don't you don't look you look sick. And then I he's like, did, did he really go downhill physically? I, I don't think I've seen that man since his um, original ads. He doesn't I mean, look take so your, good, huh? Take take your time. I would even <laughs> say you 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 could do it now if you YouTube, uh, like like 
Papa John's pizza doesn't taste the ta- taste the same or yeah. I'm trying to let me see. I, I'll I'll figure it out right now because it because it's worth you everyone listening checking out because it's not it's there's no joke. Oh, here we it's go. It's like yeah. The chain's founder, former CEO, said he housed 40 pizzas in 30 days, then claimed it's not the same. It doesn't taste as good after his departure. Um, yeah, I mean, 40 pizzas in 30 days, that'll do it. Yeah, like, do you uh, see the picture of him, though? Yeah, let me get an image here. Okay, I'll even tell you this. If you just oh, type geez. into YouTube. Yeah. Oh, but the- come on, look at those cheeks. Look how red he is. He took to the sauce. That's a drunk here. I, it, it probably is, but the pizza is not helping. There's My a reason is, he ate 40 pizzas. He was hammered. He was just hammered every night. Uh, let me get one more with the garlic dipping sauce. I don't care. I don't even if, own this anymore. If you if you type into YouTube, Papa John's doesn't taste the same. Yeah, the yeah. first result should be a CNBC <laughs> television video. Okay. All right. With with right. almost it it's almost a million views from two years ago. Okay, I'm flagging it for after. And you know what's sad about why oh, he really tried too. He he gave his little hair like the little like you could tell he tried to slick it up a little, give himself like the cool curly cue. Yeah, oh, man, he tried to do shape. a full cry boy, and he is a grown man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is some cry baby shit. <laughs> it is. Well, I'm glad I, my, my, uh, father is born and raised in the Bronx. And I had this rule when I was a kid that I was not, no chain pizza was allowed to come into my house. He was like very strict. Like he's like pizza sucks everywhere in the world. You live in the one place it's good. You're not having chain pizza. And I hated it when I was a kid, but the older and older I get, I appreciate it more. And the fact, I think I've only tasted Papa John's maybe like, once in Texas, like 15 years ago, is a testament to that. So thanks, Pops. I appreciate yeah, it. I mean, your, I'm sure your insides are cleaner <laughs> I for not having engaged I in the violence that is chain pizza. The only thing that scares me, though, is is this, is that a chain, you have to assume because of corporate overlords, have at least like a baseline of mandatory like health standards because they can just fire their minimum wage employees and get more and they don't care. Like I have run across some pizza places. Like there is not a pizza place in New Jersey that the under the counter space isn't just filled with dozens and dozens of two liter bottles of soda and like shit like that. It's just like, it's not a very food environment. You know, I've definitely... I think, but at the same time, it works in the same way with like Italian and Mexican food. Like a lot of the time around here, the the dingier the place, the darker, the older the person in the back cooking, that's sometimes where the best flavor is, you know? Yeah, that's so. It's a crapshoot. It's a real crapshoot. I wanted to have fun with something. Let's let's take a little pivot here. Mm -hmm. You want to have some fun? Uh, Um, I'd love to try. (laughs) Okay. Well, I hope I can deliver. Uh, so I saw your uh, or, or heard your bit about the... Um, wait, can I say bit? Is bit like the stupidest word to use or is that acceptable lingo? No, bit bit is the word to use. It's skit okay. that is uh, like, oh, wow, okay. what an attack. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Yes, yeah, skit. All right, so, so the bit about like the rom-coms never being real 
And the fact that like a lot of people break up and they're stuck in a lease and, and like can't get out of it. Um, I thought that was really accurate. Or also when you were talking about uh, who's like rich enough to just buy a plane ticket to go chase somebody down to say goodbye or something without actually going on the flight. I really thought it was funny. Um, but instead of repeating your bits to you, um, I wanted to do a fake movie, a rom-com, right? So mm-hmm. let's say this is the actual plot. Couple breaks up, as you described in your bit, and they're stuck together living there until the lease is over. All sorts of hijinks happen. Let's cast this movie, okay? Mm-hmm. Who are the people you want to see in it? We need a couple, two people. We need a landlord and one comic relief parent. If you could cast this film, who would you cast in these roles? Um, if it could be anybody, I think it would be... Uh, yeah, you have unlimited budget here. The couple is uh, Vin Diesel and Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, uh, the landlord is... Um, Jerry Stiller. <laughs> okay. Nice. And the parent is also Jerry Stiller. <laughs> oh, landlord and parent. <laughs> yeah. So he does it like, and it, this could either, it could be two different characters if you really need it to be. Like it could be him playing both characters and we're just going to act like that's not the same guy in every shot. Oh, okay. Or... It or go like coming to America style. Like. Yeah. Or it could be a parent <laughs> that loves his kid, but still needs the money, like ne- like needs the rent money more. Right, than, right, right. I will put yes. you on the street if I need to. Like, I love you, but I'll put you on your ass. And is it funnier if Jerry Stiller is Vin Diesel's dad rather than Jennifer Lawrence's? I think so. Because then yeah. you're really wondering how this person produced this person. Yeah, like who's Vin Diesel's mom? You're like starting yeah. to really wonder if that's the case. I like yeah. this. This could be fun. So how does how does this story pan out? Do they stay together eventually or do they split up? I mean, I definitely think that they could stay together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think it would just be Rocky. You know those people who <laughs> who you know, like your friends, everyone has at least one couple friends that they should break up yeah and uh-huh. everyone knows it and then they won't yeah. but then they always they like they'll uncomfortably fight at dinner in front of everyone because they're so comfortable <laughs> right. fighting now and <laughs> and they definitely um give off the vibes of of people who would like the best way i can describe it is they are so in extra, wait, what's what's the best way to put it? They are so tied to each other that they will do a, a murder and cover it up together, but they'll also like bicker over paper plates. Yeah. You know, like it, like it's uh-huh. like it's like they they both have a great ride or die thing, but then they also <laughs> are just so annoyed at each other all the time that it sort of ruins the dynamic. And I yeah. think that that would be what would happen if those two got together. So let's go even further. I know the couple you're talking about, the ones who go in a public setting and start to fight each other using you as a proxy, um, Mm -hmm. which is one of the most uncomfortable things you can possibly be in. It's such a genuine attack. 
It's like, oh, it's like, it's why awful. are you bringing me into this? And it'll be, it'll even be the one that's not your friend. So you're, you're like friends with Jennifer right. Lawrence's character. But yeah. then Vin Diesel will be like, you, you understand what I'm saying, right, man? Yeah. And it's you're like, friends with no, Jen, you know. No, yeah. don't do that. Don't do this to me. Let me just sit here. So in that logic, who are their best friends? They have to have one set of like best friends. Yeah, I think that um, Vin Diesel's best friend is um, is definitely going to be uh, Mark Wahlberg, and then <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence's best friend yes. is going to be um, what's what's the one from Harry Potter? Uh, Daniel Radcliffe? No, no, no. Oh, um, Hermione? No. Ron Weasley, the like, haired kid. No, no, the the one that's like, it's not fappy. It uh, that's not the word, but it's like the Neil the Gremlin thing. And Harry's oh. nice to him, and he's like hiding in closets all the oh, time. Oh, Dobby? Dobby, Dobby, yeah, Dobby is yeah. Jennifer Lawrence's <laughs> best friend. <laughs> oh man, dude, I think you're gonna get this made. Yeah, now we need a CGI element. All right, this just got more expensive, but I did give you an unlimited budget. <laughs> yeah, it's the only reason I picked Dobby. Uh, and I bet Dobby would give Mark Wahlberg a real hard time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like he'd be like real mischievous with him, just fuck with him. Mm-hmm. It's it would be hard not to fuck with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah. If Ted is any indication, <laughs> getting Mark Wahlberg angry is just hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I would try. I would try. And now you know he's like, he's graced with the hand of the Lord. So he won't actually hit you, you know? It's good. Um, so I have to touch on it while we're here, just because I'm also a big fan and uh, curious about it. Um, just the experience you've had with, with Trevor Noah uh, over like, you know, the years of working with him and stuff. Um, like, is it is it strange having someone you know remark to the president like does it feel like like are you nervous for him while that's happening no no i'm not nervous for him i mean it's one of those things that is cool um but (laughs) you know you're you're looking at someone who is like fully capable so it's not like you would get nervous for him in those situations Um, more excited than nervous yeah 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 more excited than nervous and then also i think that it's a it's a reminder that all of us are people. So then, mm. you know, he very much moves through the world like a like a person. You know, he's like right. um, a really dope dude, and and I think that you know, seeing him and working with him and seeing how he moves has been a real. Um, it's been a real shift in how I sort of operate as well. Um, How's that? Like, it's just taught me a lot of lessons about how to approach um, topics and comedy and to be a bit more worldly. Uh, mm. And and I think that that is, that is a lot of it is from working with him. Because um, mm. I like to think I had a sort of universal perspective beforehand, but right. not, not in comparison to what I have now. Right. So how does he push you to be like more worldly? Is it, is it like seeing a joke on sort of a broader scale than you were seeing it previously? 
Yeah, I think that it working with him and working at the show was a constant reminder of how big the world is. And I think that America, mm. more than any other country that I know of, is so deeply, because we've been allowed to be so deeply uh, self-referential and self-centered and in our ideas and our opinions of things. And I think that taking ourselves out of that is only going to lead us to being more relatable and more universal. Mm. Is that, is that kind of like not, you know, to give up the secret sauce or something, but is that one of the sort of the overarching themes when, when you're all trying to write for like daily show and stuff, just trying to really capture that? Uh, I mean, I, I suppose it is for me. I, I think that the, yeah. the thing that you can do, like, like if I said before, my goal with comedy is to make these people over here, understand these people over there. The way to do that is to, is to unshackle yourself from any uh, like preconceived notions about something and help other people do the same and then have the expectation that people won't always know what you're talking about or that they already perceive it in a different way than you do. So you're going to have to change the way that you approach the the given topic. Right, right. Does it ever seem uh, like, you know, you say he's a, a pretty cool character, but it it seems to me, and, you know, I'm a big Jon Stewart fan as well, just that, that, that seat, kind of holds a lot of responsibility these days. I know they keep, they fill the seat with a comic, but happen to be like a very smart and, and, you know, well-cultured comic. Um, like there, there seems to be a lot of responsibility and weight in that seat. Like does, does he ever, um, express that to you or do you feel it? Or is it just like, yo, this is what we're doing and, and kind of real smooth about it. You know, I, it's it's a hard question to to answer. I feel like everyone that has been in that position has been, you know, great for it and and risen to the occasion and everything. So yeah, I don't I sure. don't know if like yeah, I don't I I've definitely never got any sort of weight or anything. That's good. And he comes off like such a uh, a cool character, like someone you could just sit down with and talk about anything really. So I really love, uh, the, the music you're doing on like elusive and, and the stuff on, on channel black using the old samples. And, um, where's your, uh, you know, uh, musical inspiration coming from? Like, um, <clears throat> in the last few years when you've been creating this stuff for your albums, like, uh, wh- what are you listening to and how do you create music at home? Um, you know, I'm I'm still in a place where producing is um, so foreign and I know so little that I'm I'm more focused on the songwriting and the uh like aspects of moving a story forward in a song than than mm-hmm. anything else and then I've been leaning on other people that are more well versed in the thing than I am so you know like uh, I worked with Mike Realm on pretty yeah. much all these projects, like EPing them and everything. And so he's someone that I run every track by, but then also trying to find people who I just think are dope, who I just really enjoy their work and 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 their um, understanding of music and their taste in it. So, cool. you know, I'm already like a big fan of anyone that I try to collaborate with. I listen to as much of their stuff as I can, if not the whole discography before I reach out. And then, um, and then also I think that I still have so much to learn that, you know, obviously you pull from inspirations like, 
hip hop wise, there's like Kanye is pretty unbeatable and and unavoidable if you're talking about uh, an overall yeah. understanding of of hip hop and and how much it can stretch as a genre because a lot of the sure. genre bending over the past decade has been him. And yeah. like and it or I not, think, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like yeah. you even look at uh Kendrick's work and Kendrick is doing the best version of lyrical hip hop that that both like uh like speaks to a people and tells a story and has like uh a deeply rooted just a a, a deeply rooted sense of self within the music yeah. but 100%. i also think that a lot of what people now and this is from their own mouths so i'm not i'm not putting this on people but a lot of people's own style now would not be where it is without these sort of like um genre twisting projects that Kanye did. And sure. and so that's that's like a huge, huge both uh like inspiration and lesson in that whatever I do, you know, I, I I've I've said it before and 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 it's it's one of the things I strive to do every time is that I, I just want to do with comedy what Kanye has done with music. And it's like mm-hmm. I, I think that stand up can be so much and we're only now delving into all of the genres and types of stand-up that can exist. And so making a project for each one of those is something that I want to make sure that I do as long as I'm building out a catalog. And then um, as far as like other genres, like Miles Davis, um, I've listened to a little bit of Jimi Hendrix, but not enough to not be embarrassed if someone tries to talk with me about Jimi Hendrix. And but Brad's a guitar player, so he can he can get into it with you. Yeah. We won't yeah. It's there. like yeah. it's like I don't I definitely don't want to act like I'm an expert in any of these people because I'll sure. take it a task pretty quickly. But I think no, that no. The, not by me. I appreciate it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um on top of that, even for the for the spoken word, you know, I just tried to find people who had such a a deep conviction in their voice when they were giving the speech and such a, um, an understanding of, of the parts of it that apply now. So, you know, Dick Gregory's always been like this incredible order. And, and that one was so apropos, right. To like, to right now it really was. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just, I, I remember when I found it, I was just like taken aback and, and I, I knew it had to be part of the project. So, you know, luckily, you know, his, his, um, his son greenlit for us to use it, and Mike oh, okay. came yeah, out with a beat, and that. and uh, we got to put it together, and that's something that I'm I'm really happy about. What was the? I was wondering. I mean, what was the process of securing the rights to like you know a 30 second clip of Dick Gregory like that? Like, what, where does the clip come from, and how do you actually secure the rights? I was kind of curious about that. Yeah, I mean, he was he was talking to Congress. He was giving you know testimony and talking about one of the ways towards um, more sustainability and outreach for for youth and and the black community. Like, even though he's talking about black people in the moment, it's 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 about any people if you really think about it. And mm-hmm. and he talked about the way forward, which is in the track being like opportunity and cutting people in, in a way where they feel ownership, not only in their neighborhood, but in the places that they work. And, and it gives everyone a sense of purpose and hope and, mm-hmm. you know, hope and purpose are like something that's seriously lacking even now, because, you know, yeah. you have companies that are 
you know, essentially trying to cut you out. No matter how hard you work, it actually doesn't matter to them. And then as soon as they can automate or replace you, they will. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a deeply, especially if you love what you do, it's a deeply disheartening thing to know is the reality of, of, of your situation. And so he talked about that. Um, so I, I, I think like, so my, my assistant was even helping me look for clips in general of, um, of like, Lots of people. So like uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, you know, obviously there's like Malcolm X and, and MLK, even though their estates are much harder to go yeah, through right. to get to get I'm clips sure. and everything. It's like like the Beatles of audio clips. Right? Yeah. And, and I wanted to be speeches people hadn't heard before because, you know, people know I right. have a dream. People know the ballad of the bullet. Sure, so I, I really sure. wanted to find things that that's spoke to people now that we may have missed in a sense beforehand. And so right. that, that clip for Congress was, was huge. And it was, it was even hard to find a clip in it because there are just so many great nuggets within it. Um, and so then we decide on a clip and then, you know, you reach out to the estate, whoever is running the estate at the time, whether it be a law firm or, you know, the right. actual like living relatives of the person. And then you you just reach out and you ask um, if it's if it's all right in the project to use their likeness or something that they that they um, have said, like a like a piece of their work. And then you get those permissions and and then you're free to use it is the, is the best of my understanding. You know, sure. I had a conversation with him and I was very like honored to speak with him and everything. And how was that? How was that conversation? Like, I mean, it was great. It was like, I, I got to, in, in a, in a weird way, you know, it's not like I, I don't even know if I was doing comedy when Dick Gregory passed. Um, right. So to be able to tell someone who knew him so well, how much his work, means to me was very special and to have that person be gracious enough to have checked out some of my stuff too is is like a a wild experience yeah yeah uh, so what what made you like um ultimately make the decision to to use uh you know other people's voices over music rather than trying to deliver something yourself just the the power in the message or the fact that you think it's like already been said perfectly and you, you can't say it any better. Like what was the, the, the motive of, of mixing that in, in that way? I, I, I think that with people, when you're being completely authentic and you're speaking from the heart, especially at a time where you're feeling the, the emotions of what you're saying in, in such a mm-hmm. deep way, then that is unbeatable. It's like, you know, that that's a workaround that, that people use sometimes or they use when there's not an actual, um, an actual audio clip from the person they want it to be from. But mm-hmm. overall, no, I think overall when, when you find the, the clip, it's a lot like how sometimes a band will do one of their own songs and they'll just do something in a live version that's just special. It's almost like it's mixed yeah. different. And sure, sure. there's there's no beating that, you know, and there's no there's no way that you can speak with both the conviction and the experience of the person saying it for the purpose that mm-hmm. they're saying it when when it was spoken. It's interesting when you said that, like, 
you know, in music, I feel like so many of those, those magical moments happen, but they happen because of like great repetition. You know, they happen a lot of the times, like you see this magical moment, but you didn't see like the 125 gigs prior to it where these same people were kind of working around this one part and feeling it. And by the 125th time, oh, this is the secret sauce. It like sounds perfect now, you know? And I know in comedy, there's a lot of that with with shaping, um, you know, crafting a joke and testing it in front of people and seeing what, you know, what speed and pace and words and all those things that actually make it effective. I, I never thought that, you know, some of the skill in people like, Dick Gregory was just the fact that they were extremely skilled orators, right? Like they had been talking about this stuff and talking about it with passion and conviction. They just knew how to deliver it, right? In a way that like a normal person can't at this point, right? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's not just that it's, it's that you, you have to, put yourself in the shoes of the person when they were saying it. And that's almost impossible to do in a, in a, in a modern sense, because you're just coming up in a different time. You know, this is the, the, like, this is an author who actually struggled and, and technically took by his, by his own choice, took a different route with his comedy career because it was more important for him to protest. It was more important for him to be an activist and everything. Mm -hmm. So these things are being spoken by someone who's already had all of that rich life experience to where even if someone feels it as much as he felt it when he, when he spoke it, it, it's not quite the same. It's not that it's any less valid, you know, there, there, um, there are people all over the country that on the 4th of July will read in, in certain functions, uh, what is the 4th of July to a slave, which was written by Frederick Douglass. And yeah. that thing is, you know, Frederick Douglass wasn't recorded to hear him say it. And so that's something that you right. get the richness of with, with other people taking it upon themselves to say it. So it's like, it, that's even in, in the project as well. So it's, it's, it's different when you are blessed enough to actually have that, that you, I feel like you, in my opinion, you have to use it. Yeah, it makes sense. And it, it was really effective. Um, it definitely like you listen to it and you, you got to hearing it over music and good music too, especially moody music kind of does something extra to it. You know, like a, a scene in a movie gets more tense if you have, you know, a rising organ in there or something. Yeah, I got to yeah. admit though, you tricked me at the beginning of the record where, you know, I didn't know what the quote was until the end of the quote. And you started it and I'm like, oh, I think this motherfucker is straight edge. Like he's, he's hardcore. Like this guy doesn't, he doesn't drink. I know you don't drink either in real life, but (laughs) I thought the, uh, the, the Black Panther message at the beginning was, was your personal message. Or is it, or do you, do you like really, uh, get inspired by that? I, I, mean, I found it kind of inspiring. I, I get inspired by it to the purpose of I think that the the contents of it is the best way forward. Um, you mm. know, the the within the pledge is is all of the things that I try to do with comedy. I try to like I seek to understand. I I try to lift everyone up. I try to um, make sure that we that we like see the human in each other. And and so yeah. I think that when 
you know, people think of um, Black Panther, they just think of like afros and shotguns and stuff like that. But right, I think right, that the right. the overall message in in like the Black Child's Pledge is that there's a there's a a way forward outside of what any of the rest of the world decides to do or how they decide to treat black people. It's like, you know, we are the ones living around each other and we're the ones that can uplift each other every day. And so I think that those things are very important to, to take away and to, to apply all the time. Sure. So that, that's kind of why I, um, I opened with it. It's like a, almost like a personal standard of excellence, right? I guess. And that's, yeah, you, I think so. It's a way you know. to it's a way to get some power, right? Like like if you can control yourself and what's directly around you that acutely, that is a way to gain power, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I think that for the most part there's there's something to be said for um taking every avenue and and not necessarily worrying about what the rest of the world is going to do as best as possible. And so yeah. that that's that's the way that I, the, the route that I decided to take with it. Well, it was super effective. I mean, even in the simple fact of just spreading information, um, you know, like uh, up until prior to me hearing that, this 41-year-old Jewish guy had never heard the pledge before, you know? And yeah, <laughs> so these no, are like, yeah, it's good things to, to get out there and for people to know. I think it's like a, a very useful way to um, to try to get your message across. I appreciate it. Um, so you have a, a new special you're filming, or is it coming out May 12th? Or you already, you already, oh, no, no, doing I'm taping it May 12th, it May 12th in LA 12th. at the Bourbon nice. Room. The Bourbon Room. Is it a full, full uh, stand up special? Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's going to be an hour of my new, newest standup. And um, we've sold out the first show. We're still selling tickets to the second show, the late show. But okay. I'm excited to share it with people. It'll be fun. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. We, we feel like I've had you here for a long time. I'm sorry if we got a little uh, deep instead of like <laughs> funny, but I, I'm really, I'm like a gigantic comedy fan. And you know what? It always fascinates me, like where this comes from. You know, it, it fascinates me where the drive for people to make music and the drive for um, people to perform and and make people laugh. It's such a, a defined and important skill on the earth. And uh, I, um, yeah, I guess I'm just really curious how how people come to that path. So thanks for being so open with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, but thanks for being curious. That's that's yeah. uh, really the first step. And let let's get this out of the way. You're like a pretty how bad is it? Just for future, for my own reference. How bad is it to recycle someone's bits back to him in an interview? I felt like that didn't work so well. What was I a mean, better way to do that, it's, Josh? It's not this it's not bad. I I was not like you were helping me understand what you were talking about. I wasn't okay. like, <laughs> oh man. Come on, man. like like I'm not uh I'm not so uptight about that sort of thing. Okay. At least I wasn't I wasn't trying voices or anything, you know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks Josh. I appreciate the time and I really look forward to uh what you got coming up. Thank you so much. And uh if it's okay real quick, I'll I'll just do a, a you know, a quick 
plug of everything, if that works. Sure. Yeah, and we yeah. also do intros and outros for the episodes. So I'm going to, I'll definitely talk about everything in the intro as well. But yeah. Gotcha. yeah give us a, Thanks so much. Um, yeah. Yeah. The in, the deets. Because when is the episode coming out? Tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then mentioning yeah. the the special taping is great. Cool. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you're looking to catch up with me on any of the socials, you can find me at Josh Johnson Conley, uh, at Josh Johnson Comedy on Instagram, at Josh Johnson on Twitter, Josh J Comedy on Facebook, and Josh Johnson Comedy on TikTok and YouTube, where I post clips of my podcast, The Josh Johnson Show. And you did a great job of seamlessly acquiring all of your social medias. I don't know how you pulled that off with your name. Uh, there's a yeah, lot of know, Josh Johnson. You know, there's a bunch there's of a people doing podcasts out there that are named Josh Johnson. Yeah. It's like, it's, I'm fighting. I'm fighting for my life. And if, yeah, I got to warn you too. The first couple searches in the iTunes podcast library are proper Bible thumper podcasts. Um, yeah, it, it yeah. took a minute to decipher that that was not you. Yeah, <laughs> but that's funny. Well, that's cool, Brad. This is is this the first person ever who's dropped their socials and we didn't have to do it? That's awesome. I, know, I like that. Yeah, that's great. Sounds better in your own voice. It really does. It does. <laughs> thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What do we have to say, Benny? Nothing. He just gave all the, he just gave all his socials. Oh, I don't even have to say socials. And I got, I'm, <laughs> I'm really impressed. I think for him to get Josh Johnson on Twitter, he must've had to take out somebody else's oh, Twitter account. Right? I was thinking like, the same thing. Like yeah. what's this dude like in the mob? <laughs> well, you know, I think once you get to a certain level, you, you can have people take care of this for you. Like yeah, with money. Right. Like a lot of money. Like, you know, there's a Benny Horowitz on Twitter before me. Yeah, That's the reason I'm Benny Horowitz one. Mm -hmm. And I did have like a management company offer. They're like, you want us to try and go after that Twitter handle? I'm like, no, I think I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, like I'm only on Twitter by proxy. I'm a drummer. People don't care that much. They'll find me. The people who want to find me, they'll find me, you know? Right. But if you're really, you know, someone like, Josh, you need that handle because, like I said, there's a lot of Josh Johnsons out there, and most of them have some pretty suspect material. You know, <laughs> there's only one other Ben Horowitz out there, and of course, he writes like uh, how to get rich books. Oh, really? Yeah, he's way more <laughs> famous than me, and writes like how to get rich books. Like, of course, <laughs> thanks Horowitz for uh, for helping with my stereotypes that. here, fucking asshole. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, our socials, you know, I'm going off track everywhere. And if you want to support the show, throw us a tip on Venmo at off track or become a patron at patreon.com slash going off track. 
where you can talk with us on Thursday night in our Discord chat that mm-hmm. we have every Thursday. Um, get some bonus material. At, oh, and get ad-free, ad-free. Uh, podcasts. Ad-free. Ad-free. Free of ads. Free of ads. Now that but we not are... not free of the at this end rant. Now that, we that we're suckling at the corporate tea. Follow our socials. Listen to our ads. Fill our coffers. Do it now. Or else I'll feed you Papa John's. <laughs> That's the grossest shit ever, by the way. Papa John's pizza? Oh, stop I don't think it. I've ever even had it, so I can... I had it once at a studio in Austin, Texas. Because, you know, Texas, they don't yeah. know anything about pizza. And it shows up. And what do I see? But like garlic ranch dipping sauce or some shit like that. Oh, right, right. off the bat. I'm like, what is this? What pizza needs to be dipped? What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Your pizza is that bad. You had to include dipping sauce. Mm. The fuck out of here with that. I tell you, my dad's rule seemed really mean and weird when I was a kid. And I'm totally the asshole who would do it now. <laughs> what? Like, no chance. You know what? I'm not going to do it. You know why? Because I love a Domino's Thin Crust. That shit's pretty good, actually. Mm. <laughs> Domino's Thin Crust, lava cake. I won't kick that out of bed, you know? Hey, pizza, you know, aside from pizza that's $5 a Ugh. $5 for a whole pie. It's the bad I cheese, think, uh, man. You got to watch out for it's that. It's hard to get bad pie. Got to watch out for that sweaty cheese. Can't let your cheese sweat, boy. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right, let's <laughs> get out of here. Man. We're talking about sweaty cheese. (laughs) Brad, I love you. Josh, thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Fun interview next week. We're going hardcore.